Good morning, everybody on television land. How y'all doing? Oh, by the way, Brenda Tullis watches, so everybody, good morning, Brenda. You see what you get? So, good morning. Come on in, Ronnie Sloan. Come on in. We don't want to make a point of Ronnie coming on in here, but his daughter is already ahead of him, so she came in here early. What's wrong? Y'all don't think, uh, what's your name again? Celeste looks that young? So who said, ooh? <laughs> Be careful. Everybody's looking around, ooh. For those of you who are watching on television, you're wondering, why are they like this? Because we're a family. And we have, we have forgiveness. We have eternal life. We're going to be with one another together forever. And so we may as well get used to being, enjoying one another now, right? Amen. Okay, well, let's begin. This morning, I like it when I stop. Everybody all of a sudden says, what's happened? Did he forget? This morning, we're beginning a study. And actually, we did a study very similar to this many years ago. Some of you may remember. But we're beginning a study about the foundational truths and understanding of the most important man who ever walked upon the earth. And it's a study of this man called Jesus. And the reason we do this should be obvious. Because all of our hope for this life and for eternal life rests securely and absolutely on one foundation. Who is this man? What is his true twin identity? Twin meaning how many? Okay. Good, thank you. Some of you didn't go to school in New Orleans. For those of y'all who went to school in New Orleans, two AJ, I'm twin AJ means two. Okay, yeah. I can see AJ, like, huh? AJ's actually married to a twin. And so there is an absolute necessity for knowing who Jesus is. Because the attacks against God formulated by Satan himself. Remember Genesis 3? Hath God said, the attacks against the very person and purpose of God formulated by Satan himself through unbelievers and sometimes even through believers ignorantly, hopefully, is centered in one person essentially. And that is, who is this man? Some of the attacks are, he's not historical. He's never existed. Well, I think that's a pretty easy attack to, you know, to prove otherwise. But the attacks center essentially on one aspect of these 
this twin identity. One aspect, one of the two in particular, which we'll talk about. And so, let's begin this way. If you were to be asked by someone on the street, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. And I think many people would believe, at least, do you believe he existed? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He existed, and Muhammad existed, and Buddha existed, and he's a religious leader, and, you know, he's one of many. Then they ask you this, what are the two most salient, fundamental, significant truths about this man upon which all eternity and even the creation itself depends? What are the two, the twin identities or truths about this man who is called Jesus of Nazareth upon which not only our eternal life depends, but literally even the very existence of the creation itself. Because creation itself is as the consequence of the twin identity of this man. Now, how many of us don't even think that way? How many of us literally, we don't think that way. Come on, you can raise your hand, it's okay. Well, I've never thought about that. So everything that is exists because of these two truths coming together in one man simultaneously, uniquely. And so what we're going to begin to do is to slowly, you know how I do, I'm kind of a, a creeper. I didn't say a creep. We are going to creep through scriptures. And the reason we're going to creep through them and spend time in them is because we as a body of Christ, we as believers in this man, we whose hope for eternity depends upon us knowing this man, John 17, 3, we have to know. Plus, we must be ready to give a defense. Remember the apostle Peter told the people, be ready to give a defense. And so we're going to go through it carefully and slowly over the next several weeks. And hopefully as we come out of this, we can come to a place of saying, you know, I know who Jesus is so much better. I'm better equipped to appreciate him and worship him, understand him and fellowship with him and function as his Brother, remember we are, he's our elder brother. Remember that. And also I feel now more equipped to respond to the world when it says. Because there is a theology in the church today. A Christology, the study of Christ. Christology, Christology. That is washing away and denying the biblical basis for Jesus. It's happening. It's coming into the evangelical church. It's one of those insidious secret things. Remember, David, we talked about those secret false teachings that are coming in. So let's begin. So as I said, what is the most important truth about this man, Jesus? What are the twin truths about him? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand on this. 
But if you're here this morning not being able to answer that question, then make sure that this class is for you. And even if you are able to answer that question, the next question will be, now, why is it important for him to be one and two simultaneously? What is the significance of this? How does it function? Because all of it has to do with God's way of saving us and going back further in God's way of creating us, of creating the universe. So one thing that we see in the scripture is this. In the New Testament, Jesus is continually, consistently presented as superior. I may have said, what do I have in your notes? Not superior. Is it in the notes superior like that? Okay. He's superior. There's no one like him. He's the absolute unique man. There's no one ever has been or ever will be like this man. So let's begin to look at what the word of God says about the superiority or the supremacy of Jesus. And what I want to do, and you see in your notes, I want us to read through. I will read through and you read with me these scriptures. And the reason I've listed so many scriptures is because what happens when we read these familiar scriptures? Oh, I've read that. I've seen that. I'm familiar with that. What happens is we tend to allow the incredible affirmation that is in these scriptures, the audacious statements, the unbelievable truth that is stated in these, we tend to just run through them because we're so familiar with them. I've read them and I've heard them in churches all my life. And so what we want to do today is as we read these, let me ask you to, as much as you can, concentrate on the incredibleness of these scriptures and what they are saying about a man. Let it get into us. Let it permeate our souls. Let it instruct our minds. Let it strengthen us on the inner, in the inner person in our souls. Let it increase our understanding and knowledge of this God of ours. Amen. And so we're going to go through and you're going to say, well, you know, what, what did he do in class today? Well, he read scriptures. I mean, I, I've heard. No. We are allowing and inviting and embracing the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us in to the very heart and mind of our God. As he reveals through these just a few scriptures that which is so significant to the heart of God. Amen? That's what we're doing. So let's start this. Let's talk about the supremacy or the superiority of Jesus. First, in his birth. Do you have the, I think you have the scriptures in your notes. Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now that should strike us. <gasps> Who 
in all the world has been in this situation, has had this to happen. Who? This is absolutely unique in the annals of humanity. Right away, we read something like, oh, look at this. You see, we read it by the Holy Spirit. And we Catch it. Catch the awesomeness, the power, the purpose, the passion of our God in this man, Jesus. Found to be with spirit by a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, I, and I skipped some inner verses here, planned to send her away secretly. But behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. By the way, did you catch the significant, absolute, necessary statement about Joseph's lineage. He's of the tribe of Judah, the house of David. You see that. Luke 2, 8, 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Jesus is superior, is absolutely unique in his birth. Secondly, Jesus' supremacy or superiority in his ministry, in the things that he did. Matthew four twenty three. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Now, you see, once again, when I read that just then, typically, do our hearts say, oh, do we like, oh, look at this. Typically what? We don't, do we? It, are you with me this morning? Are you with me? You see, the word of God has become too familiar to us. And we read it as it were just another article in the newspaper. And when we do that, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to catch our attention and grab our feelings and our emotions. I mean, imagine there's a man in town about which this can be said. Oh, 
I need to go out and what? I need to go out and see this man, right? Are you with me this morning? It's like, oh, my word, listen to this. Donna, do you get it? Listen to this. Can you imagine this? What kind of a man is this who's walking around? Let's make sure our attention and our purpose when we read and hear the word is to be regularly thrilled by God. This man is not a regular, normal man. This is God's unique, one and, the on, one and only man upon the earth. Mark one thirty nine, And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Oh! What kind of a man is this? Matthew 7, 28. And crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. And one of the big issues in the church today is when, when we read the words and the deeds of this man, our amazement is at a very low level mostly, isn't it? Who is this man? This man who was upon the earth and everybody either stood in absolute amazement and appreciation of him or in amazement and rejection of him, one or the other. John six nineteen, and when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on top of the water. Think about it. Jeannie, what kind of a man is this? Any fishermen in here? Anybody like fishing? What kind of a man is this, Ronnie? You're in the boat, and all of a sudden you see some dude walking on the water toward you. You're done. You're right. Seriously. You see, don't let this happen to us. This class is about the supremacy of Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus, his own claims, who he claims to be. Luke twenty four twenty seven. Listen to this one. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament by, by Jews, we shouldn't t- tell a Jew Old Testament. Anybody who's Jewish, you don't use the word Old Testament. It's Tanaka, T-A-N-A-K-A-H, Tanaka. That, that's another story for itself. You talk about the Tanaka. That's their scriptures. So Moses and so on. He's talking about the entire revelation of the Old Testament. Jesus says, beginning an entire revelation throughout the Old Testament, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Everything is about me. Everything. John 5, 29. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think by knowing the word of God, you're saved. It is these that testify about me. You're reading the scriptures about me and you think you have eternal life, but you're rejecting me and I'm the subject of the scriptures. Therefore, you're not getting the truth here. This is an astounding statement. John eight twenty eight. I am from above and you are of this world. If we heard a man saying this from a pulpit, you go to a church, you go visit somebody's church, and the pastor stands up and he says, I am from above and you are from below. 
What would you think? Oh, I need to listen to the rest of this sermon, right, Gail? Gail would. What? Call 911. You're right. But Carolyn, if you heard this, you know something's wrong. But here is a man who says this, and it's true. Mark, what kind of a man is this? Who can say that kind of a thing? Can you? John 8, 20. I'm sorry. I, I didn't put 8, um, 858 in here, but he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I am the God of the Old Testament. <gasps> Who says these things? John 5, 18, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He's proclaiming his own supremacy to them. The supremacy of Jesus affirmed by the apostles. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, by the way. This is one of those sections of scriptures, like Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and there's several of these sections of scripture that are just filled with such truth about God that you must know these scriptures exist and know where they are and at least become familiar with them. This is one of those real gems in the word of God. Listen to what Paul says. He's talking about whom? This man. This man. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence or the first place in all things. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, all the fullness to dwell in him. In other words, all the fullness of deity to dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in the heavens. What kind of a man is this? Who is this man? This man is superior, supreme to any and every person who ever has lived and ever will live. Hebrews 1.3. Again, Chuck filled, and I probably should have put verse 4, but that's all right. Chuck filled with jewels. Listen, God, after he spoke long time ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in son. The word his is not in the Greek. So put an X through his because what language am I speaking to you today? If we were in Germany, what language would I be using? German. Etc., etc., and so God's literal language to us is Son. 
he has spoken to us in these last days in son. The word his is just put in there to help those who read English to understand a little flow. But I don't like it in there. There are two or three places where I don't like the word, the pronoun. God has spoken to us in this man, Jesus. He is God's literal language of love. He himself is God's literal language of love, which means that every word he says is God's love to us. Every deed he performs is the deed of God's love for us. Every place he goes is the activity of God's love for us. Everything he does is the result of God's love for us. Everything he doesn't do is the result of God's love for us. Amen? That's what he, that's who he is. And on the reverse side, everything that God, he does and says and what go is God's judgment of unbelievers. Everything about Jesus is either received or rejected. Is either blessed, he gives blessings, or he gives judgment. There's no divide and there's no middle ground here. The preached, lived gospel always does one of two things. It does one of two things. The gospel always does one of two things. This is the way it is that God has purposed it. It either saves God's people by the Holy Spirit or it judges those who are not God's people. Do you get it? There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. When the gospel is presented, thought, word, and deed, however it's presented, the Holy Spirit will either save this person or these people to whom the gospel is being presented because they are God's people from the foundation of the world, or the Holy Spirit will judge these people for refusing and not hearing and rejecting the word of God. Amen? We need to be clear on what the gospel is. It isn't a something really nice thing to kind of help people and be nice and whatever and to make the world a prettier place and smell better. This is the message of God's power to either save or condemn. That's right. How often do you hear that from pulpits? It's been watered down. That's why this kind of a study and these kinds of studies and our getting into the Word of God is so absolutely necessary for today. Because what we do not want to do is to be swept into the societal um, uh, conversation that waters down and manipulates and alters the gospel so that it becomes a non-gospel. Any manipulation, any watering down, anything of man touching the gospel nullifies the gospel. You'll read that in Galatians. Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 1, another gospel. Hebrews 1, 3. 1, 1 and 3. After God spoke to the fathers... In these last days, he has spoken to us in son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he, 
the sun, is a radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. This is who this man was. If you're in Galilee in those days and you see a, a bunch of fellows walking down the road, this man who's their leader, obviously, who is this man? He's just been described to you. Who is this man that they're spitting on? Who is this man? Who is this man that they're slapping in the face and pulling out his beard? Who is this man? Who is this man that they're ridiculing? Do you know what you're doing? Who is this man whom we disobey? When we choose our own sin over his will. Can you say amen? amen? Who is this man? Ephesians 1, 22, 23. And God put all things in subjection under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, all of you and David Batten especially are ready, ready for this. We may not always get through my notes. But can you hang with us as we go from week to week? So why is Jesus superior? Why? Here's the answer in the beginning. I asked you what? What are the twin truths about this man upon which all the creation itself depends for its existence? And then everything that God does upon the earth, especially for us personally today, including our own salvation, the forgiveness of our sin, and the guarantee of eternal life by the giving of the Holy Spirit to us. Amen? Amen. Here it is. Here's the answer. If you were looking for the answer, here it is. The answer is twofold. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate. You know what I mean by incarnate? Become a man. The son takes on a human body. Remember John 1.14. The word became flesh. Listen to Mark 1.1. 1, 1. How does Mark begin his gospel? The beginning. Now what? The beginning. Now remember. Just like Genesis. In the beginning. Just like John 1.1. 1, 1, what? In the beginning was the word. Remember? In the beginning God created. So in the beginning. The beginning, so Mark is saying something bigger than just, hey, this has happened when Jesus was born. This has always been and is being manifested and has been manifested to us at the point of Genesis 1-1. That's when this eternal one, this eternal will of God began to become manifested and began to be active in a time frame. Genesis 1-1. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God. So what does is, what is Mark say? The beginning of the, what's the word? Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. And everything else that Mark will write will be a proof of what he has just said in that verse. 
The Gospel of Mark is an exposition of verse 1, chapter 1. That's what the Gospel of Mark is all about. He's not only the Son of God, he's also the Son of Man. Now, we may know some of this because you may remember some of the, what we taught in a previous lesson. Mark 14, 61. You remember the context? Jesus is at the trial before the Sanhedrin and the chief priest. And the priest says, I adjure you, what? I put you under oath. Are you the son of the blessed? What does that mean? Are you the son? Are you proclaiming to be the unique in relationship, eternal person who is one with God the Father for all eternal, eternity? The blessed is a, uh, an adjective about God himself. I adjure you. By the name of the, by the blessed, are you this son? Listen to Jesus' reply. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? He says, I am. Again, a statement of, from the Old Testament of Yahweh's name. I am. And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, we'll see that that's a quote from Daniel 7, 13, and 14. He says this. Then what happened? What did they do? The priests, and the, they tore their clothes or whatever and say, do we need any more proof? Blasphemy, he needs to be put to death. The significance of Jesus' supremacy was the subject of Jesus' question to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who am I? He didn't say, hey, how do you like what's happening? Can we do it? The central question significance of my life and my purpose and my being in relation to God himself is, who is this man who is called Jesus of Nazareth? Who do you say that I am? So that he did this and that. Remember, Keith talked about that last week. You see, Jesus was asking them if they knew the central, most important truth about him. He was saying, do you believe that I am the son of God, the son of the living God? Remember what Peter says, what? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is so significant. Jesus stops and says, Peter. Blessed are you, Peter. For what? You didn't read this in any book. Flesh and blood, nobody has taught you this, but what? This is a direct revelation from God the Father through the Holy Spirit. My Father told you that. And because of that, you are Petros, R-O-S. Remember? You're Peter. Petros is the Greek. And upon this Petra, I will build my church. Now, there's a debate does that mean that Jesus builds a church on Peter or upon what Peter says about Christ? Well, let's, and we'll end with this. Look at this. Look at Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Do you have any in your notes? Hmm? Is that in your notes? All right, well, you'll have to go to 7, 24 and 25. Listen, let me read it. 
Jesus says, everyone who hears these words, the word of God, these sayings of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a Petra, a rock. The same word he uses in Matthew 16 when he says, Peter, you're, I'm sorry, you're, you're the Petros and upon this rock, Petra. In seven, Matthew 7, he's saying Petra is his own word. And the rains fell and the floods came and it did not build yet, for it had been built on the Petra. 1 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Petra denotes the person of Christ himself. All drink, all drank of the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual Petra, the spiritual rock which followed them. And that Petra was Christ. See, there's no debate about was Jesus building the church on Peter or on the word of God? Well, when you look at these other scriptures and there's one out of Romans 9, there are other places. The word Petra always refers to when Jesus is talking about the word, the word. When he's talking to Peter. So the word Petra is a very large, large rock. The word Petros is a small part of the rock. You remember in Exodus 19, God says to Moses, strike the rock. In the Hebrew, that's a small rock. And then numbers later on, he says, speak to the rock. Remember that? And Moses doesn't remember that. He strikes it. And the Lord said, you're not going to speak to the rock. What's the difference? That rock is a great lofty rock. That rock, I believe, represents the rock that Paul is talking about, the exaltation of Christ. But remember, Moses strikes it. Two different same a rock, but two different sizes in, in significance of the rock. One is a rock that is being beaten and destroyed for the water of his people in order to give them water. The other one is the exaltation from whom the water flows as you pray, as you speak, because the payment has been made at the cross, you see. So next week, we'll continue and... Um, talking about how the significance of these two titles work together. And again, we're going to move through. This is the way we're going to be doing a lot of the class. Hopefully, you're letting and, and seeking and allowing the Holy Spirit to permeate us with the magnificence of who is this man. Amen? Yeah. Thank you.